0: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined as always by Gabby Brutia. Excited for this podcast, excited for this conversation coming up because the football season is right around the corner. This is going to be our season preview podcast for the 2022 Miami Hurricanes. Camp has wrapped up. Week zero is upon us. Football is here. Thankfully, this weekend, if you're dying for that football fix like I am, you can take in some Nebraska versus Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, yeah. Uh, You can watch a little Duquesne at FSU at 5 o'clock on the ACC network. You can do a little scouting of North Carolina against FAMU. And... You know, got some some late-night games, too, with Vanderbilt taking on Hawaii. Nevada at New Mexico State at 10 and 10.30. So, get a little football fix this weekend in Week 0. Miami, of course, takes the field in Week 1 against Bethune-Cookman. And we will discuss that game more in detail next week. Now we just kind of want to set the scene for this 2022 season, um, you know, mainly just talking storylines. I, I feel like in earlier podcasts, we've done a good job, Gabby, of going like position by position, basically sharing what we think, what we're hearing, whether that's coming out of scrimmages or just in general, um, you know, the newsy, newsy tidbits to share from practices. Um, so I want to divide this podcast into, you know, let's talk about personnel. So the players, let's talk about the coaching and the impact the new coaching staff can have on this team. I then want to talk about the schedule and then it will be time for us to make some predictions. So personnel, uh, let's start just on the offensive side of the ball. Um, And let's start in a somewhat negative tone, I guess. What, What do you feel like going into this season gabby is the biggest concern on offense um now that we've gotten through fall camp and learned more about this team
1: yeah i mean don't i mean i guess i don't really want to beat a dead horse here but yeah i mean i think to me it's obviously the the receiver room um again we've talked about this at length and you know just maybe a little bit too many drops during fall camp i think you kind of hoped someone emerged I think the positive there is that there's still obviously time for someone to do that, you know, a couple games early to get it rolling. But, I mean, I have to go with the receivers to, you know, especially at this point right now heading into, you know, this 2022 season.
0: With the receivers, you know, let's say it's the worst case scenario that you might think it could be, right? Yeah what does that mean ceiling wise for this team in your opinion? Like how much does that limit the ceiling of what this team can be record wise?
1: Yeah. I mean, record wise, I, I mean, I think it could, again, I think you kind of give the benefit of the doubt to Tyler Van Dyke. And, you know, I kind of look back to, you know, I think you talked about it like the Pope and Wiggins, uh, what was it the 2020 team where it was like Mike Harley out of the slot, leading the team in receiving yards with like 600 or maybe it was like 700 yards, something like that. Um, you know obviously wasn't a, a a great year but i do think you have the better quarterback situation i think i mean i think you could still i think the this receiving room could be average at best right if it's and average can they win 10 games i don't think they can win 10 games but okay. i think that they i think they could still do like an 8 and 4 or something like that like you know i think that there's other parts of the of the team where it's like you know if again if this room is is very average like extremely middle of the pack um you know i think this could still like worst case maybe be an 8 and 4 team um i'm not ready to like just dog them because of the receivers or anything like that i mean it's not super far off of my you know regular season prediction regardless but um you know yeah i mean i don't know how much it seriously like like impacts the win win loss thing uh maybe i'll knock off a wins that's you know somewhere but i mean i think it, this could still be you know a good team cuz obviously i think they're strong in other places and I don't think the receivers are going to cost them two, three wins or anything like that.
0: I'll admit on offense, I am more concerned. This is a camp development. I'm more concerned about the running back depth. Um, And I know following Thursday's practice, Mario Cristobal said basically Jalen Knighton's back practicing, which we kind of hinted that that was, you know, him being held out was more of a precautionary measure, but even with him back, that's three scholarship, yeah, running backs going into the season. He did say he expects John Don Cheney back. uh did, you know, Mario's not gonna put straight up timelines out there, it feels like,, uh, but he basically made it seem like he'll be back at some point during the season, hopefully. um, I still feel good about my six weeks timeline. So that would be maybe ACC play. We could start looking for Don Chaney to make a full return, which would help if he's able to go, um, you know, that's four running backs then, uh, which to me is the bare minimum you need, but going into a season with three and you have Texas, you know, a big physical talented team like Texas A&M on the schedule in week three, it makes me nervous. Uh, and and that's, you know, one of the most physical positions in the game running back with all those hits, those guys take. So I'll admit I'm a little, I'm a little weary of that running back depth. Now, if you tell me Rooster and Henry Parrish are going to be relatively healthy, you know, able to play every game of this season. Great. You know, those two guys are good enough to win. I mean, good enough to to play really well and win and elevate this offense it's just that position it's tough we've we pretty much see injuries there every year um so that to me is the bigger concern on offense right now running back depth not the position yeah just just the numbers they have right now do you think that's fair
1: no i mean i think that's super fair um You know, of course, again, like we kind of saw a situation, I mean, again, very recently where it was kind of down to one guy where it was really just a Jalen Knighton show. And that's, you know, again, he was, he did his thing. Like, you know, he was great, but that's not the ideal situation for a guy like Jalen Knighton. Like, you don't want him to be your workhorse. You want four, you know, maybe five guys in there that you can kind of rotate in. And when you're down to three and you're already kind of putting some, putting bubble wrap over one of them, um, You know, that's not the, that's not the situation you want to be walking into, you know, to start off a, what's going to be, you know, a physical, what, 13 week long college football season. You know, like this team has ACC championship aspirations. Uh, This team wants to, you know, accomplish more nationally, uh, of course. And when you're kind of going into a season and you're like, hey, we got three healthy backs uh, already down one you know, with a significant injury in Travante citizen who could have been a freshman who contributed. You got Don Chaney, who's a guy, maybe they had high expectations for out for that six week period. And when he comes back, like, you know, again, with his injury history. We'll yeah, exactly. It's like, we'll see even then. And then you got a couple more guys and God forbid something happens to one of them. It's like, you're, you're looking at a pretty dangerous situation. So yeah, I mean, running back depth to me is a, a very, very fair um, point in, uh, in that offensive concern category.
0: Who is the best skill player in offense, not named Tyler Van Dyke?
1: Yeah, I went with Jalen Knighton. Um, You know, I think that he's a, you know, I think he's just an explosive player. I think he's, you know, the best running back on the team and uh, just kind of factoring in, you know, the receivers, obviously I'm not super bullish on. I think Jalen Knighton's one of the most, I think could be one of the best players on this offense. I mean, I look at the tight ends too. And, you know, I think Will Mallory and Elijah Arroyo are great. I think it's one of those guys could potentially get, I'm not, I would probably lean towards one of those two guys if I had to go someone next, but I'll probably go Jalen Knighton for now.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's Rooster. I think this new run scheme is going to help him be um, more productive, You know, more of those outside zone run looks, uh, I think is going to help him be effective, find that space and allow his speed and acceleration to uh, pick up yardage that way rather than constantly pounding him on the inside zone run game that we saw him last year to me, the only, the only question mark with rooster, honestly, to me, is just health. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, he, he's a slider guy. Um, but yeah, whether it's running the ball, I think he's going to make an impact in the passing game as well as a running back. Um, just looking at Josh Gaddis's history, I think roosters in for a big year. So if he's healthy, I expect him to produce at a big level. So I agree with you. Uh, best offensive lineman.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously if he's healthy, I think it's Zion Nelson, but uh, just for the sake of going with someone else, I mean, give me some Jalen rivers. Like I'm all about the Jalen rivers thing. I think he's a, I think he's a super talented guy. I think he's a guy that could potentially play on Sundays. Um, versatile can play multiple positions. I'm sure we might see him play multiple positions uh, uh, on that offensive line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of high on Jalen Rivers and just kind of having conversations with with people. You know, it sounds like people at Miami are are high on on him too. So, uh, you know, I think probably yeah, I think there's a couple different pieces here. It's I'm good. I'm glad that I can kind of debate it in my head, but uh, right now I'm going Jalen Rivers.
0: Even with a healthy Zion Nelson, I'll go Jalen Rivers. I think he's going to make you know pin and pull scheme that Mario Cristobal yeah. and Alex Mirabal like to do in the run game. I think they are very excited about, you know, thinking about Jalen Rivers pulling in front of a Miami running back, getting downfield, putting some blocks on some defensive players. Uh, Jalen Rivers is that type of guy, that type of talent. I think he's going to be utilized in a pretty cool way this year. How How good can this defense be from a personnel standpoint?
1: I mean, I think they could be really good, right? Like, I don't know, like I'm looking at this and like, I'm kind of just kind of going through like the layers of the defense. And I'm just like, I have zero concerns about the defensive line. Um, You know, the the linebacker room, you know, I, I, I feel comfortable that there's more bodies in there. Um, and then you add Caleb Johnson and then you go to the secondary and I'm feeling pretty good about the secondary too. Like, you know, I think that, you know, I think you have to feel okay with the corners you have coming back. I mean, those safeties, I mean, I think this could be, a really good defense. Like I think we could see significant improvement on defense. And then you factor in just the way they're being coached and who they're being coached by. Um, you know, I think that this is a, a, a unit just in general that could take one of the biggest leaps in terms of like the year to year improvement uh, towards where they finished last year to where they finished, where they're going to finish this year. Again, I think the talents there, I think uh, all the pieces are in place. I think you have the pass rushers, which you want. You got some ball Hawks in the secondary, you got some veterans in the secondary and then some older guys. At linebacker, and maybe that's not the most talented unit of those upperclassmen, but you got some experience, and then you got a couple youngsters in in Wesley and uh, and Chase Smith, who I think could you know eventually come on where they can kind of ease, you know, they can ease whatever you know the upperclassmen can't do, and they're obviously you know uh, athletic and and they can get it done. So I'm excited about the defense in general. I think that this can be one of the I mean I think this can be the strength of the team, honestly.
0: How sold are you on the corners? Because we know. We know the receivers have struggled. Yeah. We know mainly the the receivers are struggling with drops. Yeah. So that would indicate that they're kind of getting open. They're just dropping the ball at times when it comes their way. Does that make you wonder, like, how legit is this cornerback group? And we've seen in the past, you know, guys have been up and down. um, Some of these returners. Um, are you sold that they're going to be good enough
1: I mean I, I think they are and you know I, mean, I don't know maybe not sold on it but again I I I can I'm going into I'm going into this feeling optimistic about it right like you got a Tyreek Stevenson who's a guy I think is super talented Um, again even like a DJ Ivy I mean obviously he hasn't been great over the course of his career but he is an older guy and you know, I think Jamal Day factors in for something, right? Like I do think he is a good coach. I think that he's making a difference in that, in that secondary. I know Kevin Steele is spending a lot of time with that secondary, just from what we're able to see during that o- early portion of practice. So seems like the defensive coordinator is really involved there. And I think that there's some talent. I mean, I think Daryl Porter is someone who could eventually, you know, someone that can come on and could eventually be good just from the times we have seen him in coverage. Um, again, I guess really the few times. I mean, I thought that he was good during that one-on-open practice, one-on-one session. Uh, I think I did. I, I think there's something with Isaiah Dunson. Um, you know, some of these guys I think could eventually. I, I think they could help. You know, I don't think it's the strongest on the team, but I think that the corners are good enough. Where I guess, I guess we'll see how they're tested in 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 like a a Texas A&M game or or anything like that. But I don't think that the cornerback room is is bad. I, I would prefer this cornerback room than. The one that we had a few years ago, where it was just like, is there anybody else here that we can throw in there? And really, there was no answer. I feel like there is at least a few answers here
0: uh, at corner. Who do you want the two starting corners to be?
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it depends if we're Tyreek Stevenson's playing. If he's playing star, I would probably go, I don't
0: know. You don't I want guess... him on the outside? I want. I want want
1: Tyreek on the outside. I just don't know where he's going to kind of be playing. If he's playing on the outside, like if they're going to play him a lot on the outside, because I know he's been doing some of the star stuff too. If they're going to put him at outside corner, I mean, he's, I think he's, I think
0: he's definitely a starter. Who do you want to see?
1: I mean, I would like to see Tyreek. I would like to see Tyreek Stevenson. And I don't know, I guess the number two spot is kind of up in the air. I can convince myself of a few guys. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I can probably jump, I can jump on board with like an Isaiah Dunson type. Okay.
0: I'll go Tyreek and I will go to Corey Couch. Okay. I want to see to Corey and Daryl Porter emerge as the other guy uh, okay. to rotate like there. For sure. I, I think Dunson, I think Ivy are more rotational guys. We'll see. This is just my opinion. I'm not predicting the starting lineup. Um, so we'll see. I, I agree. They got some bodies there to find answers with. And, uh, you know, I think the key is to find who your guys are at corner um, by the start of ACC play. So the Texas A&M game is going to be valuable in that regard. Um, Big picture, when you look at this team, Gabby, do you feel better about, because these were the two question marks coming into camp. Yeah. So now that we're through camp, do you feel better about wide receiver? Or do you feel better about linebacker?
1: I, mean, I feel better about linebacker. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I feel like there could be something to like maybe just, I don't know, the, the drops and all that stuff. And maybe they figure it out, but I'm encouraged. But I think the better, oh, the best overall player in that of, of those two groups is like, I feel best about Caleb Johnson. And I think he could be impactful. So um, I would probably lean linebacker right now.
0: I think I'll go receiver. I think. This is, and I'm not saying the receiver group has played well. I think this is more a case study on expectations. Yeah. I think the, the expectations for the linebacker group are very low. And so if they play close to average, I think that is considered a win.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: Whereas receiver, you know, I think... The the expectation is for them to be good because they are playing with a elite quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, um, so it's going to be frustrating in that regard where Tyler Van Dyke puts a you know drops a dime and a receiver drops a pass, um, but I think overall I would still ride with this receiver group. But if we're gonna say which group is going to be more frustrating. I think the receiver group is going to yeah. be more frustrating. Um, but yeah, to me, linebackers still, to me, linebackers still a big question. And yeah. to me, I think linebacker is going to be masked, which is a good thing. They're going to mask the deficiencies of that group with, with strong defensive line play, yeah. which which is good. That's what they needed to do.
1: So. That, that, I think that's why I leaned linebacker because I was like, I think that defensive line is going to help the linebackers overall, just in general, and then the personnel packages yeah. and how they're going to use certain guys maybe closer to the line of scrimmage or, you know, again, they said there's, what, nine different personnel packaging, I think they're going to, I think they're going to find a way to mask the linebackers in, in, a, in a few yeah. different ways. So that's why I maybe give the benefit of the doubt to the linebackers. But yeah, no, I mean, your perspective obviously makes a ton of sense, too.
0: Who's a guy that you feel like we aren't talking much right now about coming out of camp that you feel like can grow into being some sort of impact player, Um, you know, not a star or anything, but like, Hey, he's growing into like, maybe like a key rotational guy, or maybe even to a starter. Is there a guy that you have circled in that way?
1: Yeah. We talked about him a little bit already. You mentioned him. I mentioned him. I'm going with Daryl Porter. Uh, You know, again, kind of that secondary, Um, you know, I think he's someone that can end up helping, you know, I think he's a, you know, coming from West Virginia, a guy that's played a lot of football, kind of a passing league, um, you know, that big 12. So uh, I think he's comfortable with the ball in the air Again, kind of watching him in coverage during, I I think David, we said to ourselves during that open practice, like, are we going to base every thought that we have about this team from this one open practice? And it's just like, I mean, that's the biggest sample size that we've gotten. And um, I think Daryl Porter is someone who can eventually, again, not saying he's going to be a, you know, cornerback one or anything like that, but if we're talking key rotational guy. I think he could be someone that factors into this team and contributes.
0: I like that pick. Um, yeah. This is an interesting topic because I, I want to say like Jacoby George. Yeah. But I don't know. It It seems like people inside are kind of down on, the work ethic stuff and all that. Um, I think he's very talented. And if there's a chance that he gets on the field and Tyler starts targeting him and he starts making plays, then his role can grow. Yeah. Um, so he's an interesting name to me. Honestly, I think Frank Ladson's an interesting name.
1: Yeah.
0: He's had a frustrating camp in terms of drops. Um, and he's not the perfect, well-rounded receiver by any means. But he is a big guy that can run fast in a straight line, get downfield and be that deep threat for a quarterback that can really, really push the ball downfield. So can he be a one-trick pony that is still highly productive and highly impactful? Yeah. I think there's a chance. Um and then two, there's a guy, you know, I think Jordan Miller has had a good camp by everything I've heard. And in terms of a guy like I want to say, I want to say Chase Smith. I want to say Wesley Bassaint, mm-hmm. One of yeah. those young linebackers that sees his role grow during the course of the season. But we got to see it. You know right. what I mean? Like at this point, we got to see it. Um, but yeah, there are, There are some intriguing guys where it's like, if you get an opportunity, let's see how it goes. So I guess if I was going to name one guy, I'll go Frank. And maybe that's like cheating because I think he's in line to, well, it's (laughs) him and and Michael Redding are kind of battling it out. It seems like, Um, but I'm saying maybe in terms of like the perception coming out of camp yeah I I think Frank Ladson could still go on to have a pretty impactful year
1: yeah no I think that's a fair I think it's a fair pick I mean I I don't think that that doesn't qualify as like an under the radar impact type of guy like again I mean coming out of camp you would probably not expect much from him but uh yeah I know I think he could still be again we're talking one trick pony like a deep ball threat I think that could potentially be Frank if he can just catch the ball you know so there should be opportunities and we don't know how this group responds if they have a couple confidence games against uh, right. Southern Miss and, and FAMU early on. So maybe that's just what they need to kind of get rolling. So I think Frank Latson's a good pick there too.
0: Coaching talk. Um, Got to start with the head man in charge. In what way do you think Mario Cristobal can make the biggest impact here in 2022? I'll, I'll start. Can, yeah, start. Go ahead. So I think, you know, I mean, this is... I think this is pretty obvious, but I think just from a motivational standpoint, Mario Cristobal is going to get this team ready to go every game. You know, I think slow starts, especially against good teams, especially again, you know, randomly just coming off of bye weeks was a weird trend for, you know, during the Manny Diaz era you know, these big moment games where the spotlight is on you. Miami seem to struggle to get up for those games. I don't think that's going to be an issue for Mario Cristobal. I think this team is going to look like a much more physical team. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a team that's going to be willing to fight. I think they're going to be tougher. Uh, and, I think this is an easy one too, to point out, you know, I think the offensive line and the run game is going to be much improved and fun to watch. And I think a big key in some of these SEC games, like the Texas A&M game and the Clemson game, which is, you know, basically like an SEC type of game. um, You know, I, I think in recent years, the off- Miami's offensive line has been swallowed up in those type of matchups, uh, particularly in the run game. They just can't seem to get any push against these SEC front sevens. I would lump Clemson into that as well. In order to win games against Texas A&M and Clemson, I think the offensive line has to hold its own, not only in pass protection where we all see the sacks and yes, those obviously you got to limit those sacks, uh, but also just generating push in the run game. You got to be able to, to move the ball steadily. And I think, you know, the Rhett Lashley offense was productive. It was great. It was fun to watch, but also when you're playing fast and going nowhere, it gets you out of these games quickly. If that makes sense, you know, when, when the defense gets three and out, three and out, three and out, you're kind of out of the game by the uh, midway through the second quarter. I think Mario Cristobal is going to impact the team in terms of like, all right, we're going to go into these deep waters with you and, and we're going to fight through the fourth quarter and we'll see where the, where the chips fall in the fourth quarter that's, these are the areas where I think, and these are like cultural things, right? Yeah. In terms of its culture and its identity. And that's what a head coach does. Uh, and in year one, I think that's where the biggest impact is going to be for Mario Cristobal. How successful is Miami in in doing that? We'll see. Uh, but I do think there's going to be steps forward in in these areas under his leadership.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, everything you said this, I'm just going to read off what I had just wrote down, just like my talking point for this particular topic. I just put the obsessiveness to win and culture installation on a week to week basis slash high standard. And I think that's just really, I think that kind of accumulates everything that you just kind of said, like this is not like it's on a week to week basis. I mean, it's going to be like, we need to get this done, you know, for these big out of conference games or even these like a big conference game like Clemson. I mean, let's right. not forget Mario Cristobal with his Oregon team walked into columbus ohio last year early in the season right and no no one had oregon as a favorite in that game i think ohio state was like a 17 point favorite or something like that and i walked but i remember walking back into my apartment from dadeland mall turning on the tv because i was just dying to watch this huge at a conference game and oregon just kind of they just kind of went in there and just beat them like a team that was probably just much more talented all those types of things and you know, I think that is what makes Mario Cristobal so special. Like he is, not, he's gonna get up for those big games, and you got to get up for all games. But again, I think it's about the standard. I think it's about that week to week culture installation, which they've been doing since he's got here. Really, Um, you know, all those types of things. So, I mean, I think Mario Cristobal makes a big, big impact, and I think I, I think you, I think Miami stays in a lot of these games. You talk about four, four, four quarter ball games you know let the chips fall where they may I think Mario Cristobal puts you in a lot more of those situations where you're not walking into some of these you know big grand atmospheres that Miami typically folds I think Mario Cristobal and what he's kind of instilled here gives you a chance to get in there and be like all right you know what we're gonna play whether it be for three and a half quarters whether it be four full quarters but that were typical like past Miami teams have been like all right this game's clearly over like midway through the first or whatever, you know, because Miami right. clearly just doesn't belong on the field here.
0: Yeah, I feel like the Manny Diaz style and the Rhett Lashley style, both of their offensive and defensive systems were fun. They worked a lot, but it was a lot of high risk where you could get slapped, um, and it was high reward too. So, like, when, when things were clicking with their systems, man, it was fun. It was downhill. Uh, but in a lot of ways, Miami was a front running team, uh, you know, during the Manny Diaz, Rhett Lashley eras. Uh, when things were going well early, okay, Miami's got a chance to win this. But when teams were smacking them around early, it would snowball in a bad way the other direction. I feel like the Mario Cristobal uh, culture is going to embrace a long game you know these football games are long four quarters is a lot of football and I think Mario Cristobal is going to be willing to drag especially in these in in these big games is what I'm talking about drag things out into the fourth quarter we have that elite quarterback let's see if if he can go win it for us in the fourth quarter speaking of elite quarterback offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis of course inherits Tyler Van Dyke It's a good place to start for any, any college offense. Right. Um, But there are, you know, it's not perfect personnel wise. We've talked about receiver, um, you know, running back depth is a concern going into the season. Um, So I'm curious, Gabby, in, in what way do you feel like Josh Gaddis as Miami's offensive coordinator and play caller can make the biggest impact this year with this team?
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I think just to start, like we just kind of go back to like the previous stuff. And obviously like we said it worked when it worked, it worked. It was yeah. it was it was rolling when it was working. Um, but like you, you mentioned, the, I mean, really, it was like a template package and it's like we're going to run these plays really, really fast. Um, and we're just going to kind of move quicker than everybody. I feel like from the moment Josh Gad has got here, it's been about I need to my offense is going to be based on this personnel. Like, where is this team? Where are the strengths of this of, of this team? Where can we draw this up to where the strengths are sort of like, you know, I don't know, built upon and maybe where you can hide some of the deficiencies, you know, where they yeah. it's just kind of playing to the personnel. And I think that there's something to that. And it was never like I'm coming in and I'm running X, Y, Z offense. And this is exactly what we're going to do. I feel like Josh Gaddis, like at the end of spring ball, it's just like I'm just trying to figure out who our best players are right now. You know, like I don't even fully like understand yet who it is that we're running this offense around. So I think we saw that a little bit at Michigan last year. You know, they had sort of an 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 offensive sort of eruption. I think it was like thirty five point eight points per game, which is which is really good for a Michigan team. That when you look at it, you know, I don't know if there was a ton of like superstar talent. I think they had some good backs, a couple like gadget guys, and and things like that. But um, you know, I think that this offense, you know, if he builds it around the strengths of the personnel, um, you know, I think that is where Josh Gattis is uh, is most impactful because that's where where we're not super strong at receiver right now, you know, you have some strong tight ends, uh, some talented running backs that obviously you need to protect. So I think that's where um, I view Josh Gaddis having maybe the biggest, you know, influence or impact on, on this team.
0: Yeah. He's not married to one single way of playing. Yeah. And I think that's going to evolve during the course of the season as well. Like I, you're going to learn stuff about your team in real games as well. And, and so you got to constantly tweak it, uh, from week to week to week from what you learn the previous game. Uh, and you're right. You know, when you look at the Michigan, I think Miami fans should be encouraged about what he produced with that Michigan team, because, you know, we're, we're talking about limited wide receivers here at Miami. They were, they were limited at wide receiver at Michigan. Um, They were also pretty limited at quarterback, especially when you compare it to a guy like Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Um, You know, what did they have, though? They had a good offensive line and they had two very talented running backs. So he leaned on that. Um, One thing I am encouraged about with with Josh Gaddis is he understands how to work the tight ends into the offense, which is going to be a strength of this team. And he's going to need to do that uh, with with the Hurricanes this year. You look at Michigan last year, two tight ends, the top two tight ends that played for Michigan last year, one played 484 offensive snaps. The other one played 557 offensive snaps. Um, he also, you know, two other tight ends played. One played 313 snaps on offense. The other one played 111 snaps. So, He's willing to go to some jumbo looks yep. to find angles in the passing game or sorry, in the run game. Um, he, These Miami tight ends are going to be much more uh, effective in the passing game as weapons as well. He's He doesn't hide his excitement of Will Mallory. Um, yeah. So he's excited to use him as a chess piece. You look at the snap counts too from Michigan last year at receiver. They had one guy, that played 801 snaps. So clearly liked one guy. I think he finished the year with like 600 yards or so. So one guy playing all the time had 600 yards. Uh, the next guy, the next wide receiver had 433 snaps. So almost half as many snaps than 395 snaps for the next guy, then 288. So um, he had he had a wide receiver play 800, a tight end play 557, a tight end play 484, and then a wide receiver play 433. So he knows how to spread the snaps around to his personnel. Um, he also lined up. So running back Blake Corum is a very dynamic running back. He was kind of like their number two change of pace back last year. This year, he's going to be their primary back, but he's a guy that Uh, They lined up in the slot 16% of the time. I think we'll see some of that from Jalen Knight. I think, honestly, we could see some of that from Henry Parrish, too, because I think he catches the ball well, as as well as Jalen Knight does, too. Um, He just understands how to be balanced on offense, how to spread the ball around, which I think is going to need to be the approach this year. Uh, The wide receiver conversation, to me, it's frustrating because I think if they had a guy, like let's say Charleston Rambo was on this year's team, I mean, we could be talking about 11 and 1. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think that would be super far-fetched. So, that's why it's frustrating because the wide receiver situation, it's it's impacting the ceiling of the team. Um, but it's Josh Gaddis's job to scheme open wide open looks for these receivers with his play designs and, you know, play calling tendencies, you know, build the passing game off the run game. He's going to have to do that for this wide receiver group uh, while also working the tight end and, and the run game too. So uh, he's no stranger to being a coordinator with some offensive deficiencies, if that makes sense, um, and so he's going to have to earn his money this year. And again, you mentioned it, but if he was able to average thirty-five points per game with that Michigan offense, I I think he can piece together something similar in that ballpark with this Miami offense, especially because having a quarterback like Tyler Van Dyke at the college level elevates everyone else around him from a skill and and receivers included. So, um, yeah. How about Kevin Steele? Biggest impact, biggest area he can make an impact. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think for him, I think with Kevin Steele, it's just like, I I, I don't know. I just think there's something to having like a veteran defensive mind in there. Right. Like just someone who's been a high level.
0: Yeah. Do you think he's underrated in terms of like, what the fan base feels about him, because the more you dig into him, he's very, very impressive in terms of like having results at Auburn, uh, his last year. So the COVID year was his last year there. 2020 was, you know, a little Rocky from a results standpoint. But before that he had a strong, strong run as a defensive coordinator at Auburn to me, I don't know if it's like an ageism thing, because he's an older dude, or if it was, I don't know, he had a year off, right? He took a year off before he got back into coaching. But for some reason, I just feel like the fan base doesn't quite understand how much of a stud Kevin Steele is.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you might, I I get the feeling, I don't know if you have, if you have some numbers or some data that you want to drop. But like, for me, it's just like, I mean, this is a dude that was a coordinator in the SEC for like a really, really long time. Like he's drawn it up against some of the best offenses that you know, that that you'll see year in and year out. I mean, this it's the premier conference in college football. We don't need to pretend about that. And he's been highly successful. Like, I mean, some of those Auburn defenses that we've seen in the past have been really, really good, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's something to just having a guy like Kevin Steele in this, like running this defense, kind of, again, you talk about like the high risk, high reward of the Manny Diaz unit, but this is a just, I think it's just, There's he's Kevin Steele's just a pro, right? Like, he's just a guy that like, you know what? It's kind of like that veteran where you're just like, yeah, you know what, maybe he doesn't look glamorous or anything like that. Or, you know, he's not the sexy defensive coordinator pick or he's not the hot young riser that's like, oh, I this is the next star is. in the coaching industry. But yeah. this is a guy that's just been a constant. He's been a he's been a staple in SEC country, in the Auburn community, at other places. And, uh, you know, he's just been getting it done at a high level for a really, really long time. There's a reason why he's been around as long as he is, as he has, and that's because he, understands defense and i don't know i just think there's something to that um you know i'm not the best like x's and o's guy and all that stuff but i just think like the like the like having that sort of mentality and we're talking about a culture change we're talking about how this um you know this all has to how there just needs to be a whole kind of shift of the from the of inside the university of miami in terms of the football program i think kevin steele's just a guy that you bring in and it's just like he is a key piece in kind of shifting the defensive mentality of, you know, it, you know, really of green tree and Coral Gables, all that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, I think he's a, I think he's just a pro man. And I think that there's something to just the veteran leadership and the veteran, just you know, all this, all the experience, all the, the amount of games he's coached in all these different environments, like walking into Texas AM is not going to be new to Kevin Steele, right? Like walking into Kyle yeah. field and seeing 110,000 people in there is not going to be like, Oh my gosh. I mean, how, how am I going to call a defense with all these people? Like, you know, he's gonna be like, all right, this is a typical Saturday in of, of, of any Saturday I've coached throughout my my career. So it's not gonna be a wide-eyed defensive coordinator trying to prove something. It's like, all right, let's go to work, just another day on the job. I mean, I think there's I think that's important.
0: Yeah, and, and you're right. I I I did I'll go more into detail with these numbers, but Kevin Steele at Auburn in his first, so he was there five seasons in his first four seasons there, uh this is according to the SP plus, which is an advanced metric that, you know, accounts for uh, the strength of an opponent, also takes out like, um, pace of play, all that stuff. So it's a good, fair metric to judge offense and defense by. in, in his first four seasons at Auburn, uh, Kevin Steele led a top 10 defense. And the previous two seasons at Auburn, they weren't inside the top 30. So he got pretty quick results there. Now his last season there, things fell off. Some he was, I think Auburn was like ranked in the fifties on defense. Uh, but still those first four years, you would be hard pressed to find a better defensive coordinator in the country, quite frankly, during those, that four year stretch. Um The thing I like about Kevin Steele, and this is honestly similar to what we were saying about Josh Gaddis, I think he's willing to play a lot of different ways um, in terms of like mixing and matching personnel, putting different personnel groupings on the field together. He's not going to be stubborn in terms of like, this is my system. This is what we do. If it doesn't work, we're going to bang our heads against the wall and just blame execution by the players. Uh, I think if, if things don't work under Kevin Steele week over week, he's going to change things up to find solutions, which is what good coaching is. And and we've already heard, you know, that they have been working on their different looks during fall camp. They have, of course their base four three, they have their four 2 five look, which includes the star. They have their straight up traditional nickel defense. They have their speed package, you know, getting four defensive ends on the field together to rush the passer. James Williams playing some like rover slash linebacker looks in those speed packages, you know, as he did last year as well at times. So he is preparing this defense to play different ways, which is what you have to do in modern college football, because every week you're going to see a different type of offense, which is what... To me, which is one of the reasons why college football is more interesting than the NFL, because every week you're going to face someone that does things different. Um, And so Kevin Steele, I think, understands what good players are supposed to look like too. I don't think he's going to play favorites, which I think was kind of an issue a little bit with the previous regime. Um, And like you're alluding to, he's just an old school coach. If you're a player and you get the job done, under Kevin Steele, you're going to play. So uh, we'll we'll dive into some of his impressive numbers uh, in a little bit at the end. But I want to talk about position coaches now. And really, I just want us to each maybe highlight one. Maybe it's the same one. Uh, maybe it's not. But this is an all-star coaching staff outside of the coordinators. Uh, it's a real coaching staff. And so I want to know, Gabby, what position group do you feel like has benefited the most from the development of their position coach leading up to this point?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I have one written down on each side of the ball, um, but I'm going to go with offensive line um, and with Alex Mirabal. And I say offensive line too, because like, I feel like when you include Alex Miraball, just based on what we see at practice, I think, Yes. Yeah, obviously, offensive, obviously, Alex Mirabal is the offensive line coach, but I mean, Mario Cristobal is the 1B offensive yes. line coach. Um, he's very much involved, very much hands on. So I just think as a unit entirely, if I'm looking at one specific position group, I don't know if there's I mean, I just think offensive lines just kind of all hands on deck um and so that's why i'm leaning there i think it's a i think it's a monumental change in terms of just the level of coaching that they're getting there and that's not a, lo- a knock on garen justice or anything like that it's just it's different when the head coach and then like kind of his right hand man are both attacking one specific uh position group and that's why i'm leaning offensive line
0: are you confident you know last year pass protection was good yeah but the run blocking was poor yeah I mean, confident I confident year over year, the run blocking is going to be legitimate.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're t- you mentioned it earlier, like that pin and pull thing, that pool, pin and pull technique that they sort of run in practice so often. Uh, again, when we're there during that open portion of practice, David, I mean, they're working on the kind of like those, like, you know, combo blocking drills. I feel like that's a lot of run blocking stuff. Um, you know, I, it seems like it's something that they're really prioritizing and emphasizing. I, I feel confident in this unit's ability to pass protect, but if they and if they get that run blocking right, I mean, I think it just elevates the I mean, yep. really, that offense, the running game, all that stuff to to sort of the next level. And you mentioned what Josh Gad- Gaddis had with that. I mean, obviously, Joe Moore winning offensive line at Michigan. I mean, I'm not expecting them to be anything like that. But I mean, if they could be good in the run blocking game and kind of maintain that same pass pro uh, status. I mean, I think that this is this could be potentially the most improved unit year over year on, on the roster. So, um, you know, I think the coaching's there. Uh, I think that they got enough pieces with Jalen Rivers healthy, John Campbell kind of emerging, Zion Nelson working his way back. Eventually, I mean, I think that there's enough talent at least on that top that, on that top floor that you know that that one unit um, yes. that where you can feel good about you know what it's going to look like up front.
0: Yeah, hopefully no injuries. Yeah, you know, I think they can maybe sustain two injuries there, but if if guys get banged up past that, it's going to be a drop off. For me, you know, and and this speaks to, I think, the way Mario Cristobal constructed his coaching staff and what he wants Miami to be, which is a line of scrimmage team. So, you know, you highlighting that basically the offensive line has two position coaches and Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal. I'm going to flip it to the other side. I'm going to go defensive line coaching and development. Um you know, with, with Rod Wright handling the ends and Joe Salavea handling the inside guys, I think splitting up that group and devoting that type of attention is going to deliver results. I also think too, like Rod Wright and Joe Salavea, um, have played in the NFL. So they know how to teach the techniques. They know what works in terms of developing guys. They have that credibility, um, I think, quite frankly, this is the best defensive line coaching Miami has been getting in a long, long, long time. Um, And of course, too, you throw in Jason Taylor as an analyst helping off the field. Uh, He is, you know, by all accounts, he has been highly impactful in that role, too. Uh, I think, you know, of course, the transfers are going to make a huge difference, particularly you know, Akeem Mezador, uh Mitchell Agude, and Daryl Jackson. But I also think we're going to see a jump from the guys that are returning guys yeah. like Jafari Harvey, uh, Jared Harrison Hunt, Leonard Taylor, Jordan Miller. I think these guys are developing. I think they're getting better because of the practicing uh, or the, the coaching of Rod Wright, Joe Salavea and the off field work from Jason Taylor. Um, and, and, Kind of to to your point, Gabby, in terms of like what you were saying about the offensive line and the things they're practicing, um, it also matters um, for who they're practicing against because um, you know they're practicing more one-on-ones in in the past than we've seen. There's more combo drop, combo blocking drills, um, and work than we've seen in the past, uh, Miami's offense was finesse last year. Miami's offense was finesse, quite frankly, during the Rhett Lashley era. And that means on the flip side that a defense is practicing against a finesse offense. And I think that kind of showed defensively, uh, during the course of the year, last year in particular. So, uh, you are what you emphasize in practice, uh You mentioned how they are emphasizing physicality on the offensive line. I think that also has an effect on the defensive line and vice versa. You know, this defensive line is also uh, getting more out of the offensive line. So um Mario Cristobal wants to be a line of scrimmage team. That's how you win championships in college football. And, you know, I think... You mentioned year-over-year year, offensive line could be the most improved. I think you could also argue defensive line year-over-year year yeah. most improved, which, you know, speaks to the impact of Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff getting what they are emphasizing from this group. So anything else to add on the D-line from you?
1: No, no. I mean, you,
0: you crushed it. So let's take a break there, and then we will talk schedule, and then we will lay out some predictions. All right, Gabby schedule. I think overall it's, it's fairly, you know, friendly, yeah. uh, not, not too tough of a schedule. You're always going to have some games and you're always going to have some battles against teams that you should handle. And I think that's especially going to be the case here in, in year one of a new coaching regime. But, uh, want to discuss a little bit the schedule because the way schedule lays out it, uh, it matters big time in college football. Um, So let's just start here. When you look at the schedule, which game, you got to pick just one, which game concerns you the most? And you can define concern however you want to define it.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. The game that concerns me the most, I don't know, honestly, probably Clemson at the end of the year. And just because Again, you're kind of talking about the like how the schedule's is favored. And the, the way it lays out, I think it's super favorable. And, you know, that Texas a and game, honestly, like me personally, I'm not expecting a ton in year one under Mario Cristobal. I think that's obviously a game they can win. But uh, I think just the more important game is, uh, you know, just in, in terms of like this year, in terms of 2022, um, you know, going to Clemson at the end of the year, I think it's going to be, I think Miami has an opportunity to sort of be on a roll there. Um, I think they could be progressing towards playing for an ACC championship. Um, I think Clemson's probably going to be the team that comes out of the Atlantic unless NC State makes a a move over them again. Um, So I think Clemson's probably my measuring stick game for Miami in in 2022 just because it's later in the season and, you know, it's kind of go time. It's like, you know, that we're going to know who Miami is sort of by, by the time they go up to Clemson. So I think there could be a big opportunity there.
0: Are you concerned from the standpoint of like, I think you're right that Miami could be, I don't know if rolling's the right word, but they could be stacking wins when they come into that game, right? Let's say Clemson kind of handles them. Are you concerned because of what that might mean then for a big Pittsburgh game immediately after that?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. You're playing the eight. You're playing the race, the reigning ACC champions right after that. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot, and I, I, I just think there's so much that goes into that Clemson game. And maybe it's I don't know. Maybe I, I feel like just that Clemson game is just the one I sort of have, have circled as like, you know, that that's sort of the game for me. I feel like that's the game that's going to tell us a lot. I think there's obviously others. Like, I mean, I mean, I feel like there's other concerning games. Obviously, like you know, you, you go to Virginia. I think that's always tough. Miami hasn't beaten Virginia. Uh, the past few years Um, I don't know I just feel like Clemson's that game I'm looking at the schedule and I'm just like uh, I don't know I mean I guess you got North Carolina I mean there's a couple where you can kind of but I feel like Clemson's going to be the one that kind of tells us because I feel like Miami's going to kind of go through some of these games and you know I feel like Clemson's going to be the one that they hit and it's like all right who are you now
0: I'm concerned about how this team handles and responds to However, this Texas A&M goes, uh, Texas A&M game goes, because we've seen the SEC break the spirit of Miami teams over the last decade. You know, we've seen Alabama last year, um, broke Miami spirit on the field (laughs) health wise. And just, you know, you could tell that Miami was shook after that game, Florida in 2019, you know, Miami was right there, kind of couldn't pull it out. Um, and then the next week they lost to UNC. I think it was a true freshman, Sam Howe. So they started that year 0-2. LSU in 2018, Miami enters the year with a lot of buzz. Um, and LSU honestly handled them pretty easily. Uh, South Carolina and in the Independence Bowl, even if we're like going down to those mid-level SEC teams. Um, you know, I think we'll learn about the resiliency of this team after this Texas A&M game, either good or bad, you know, if, yeah. if Miami beats Texas A&M, okay. Then how do you, you gotta, respond? Yeah. How, how do you, you respond?
1: respond? Yeah.
0: It's you know, still, I mean, how do you respond? You can't buy the hype. If, uh, if Miami loses te- to Texas A&M, you know you're going to have to uh, put it behind you and focus on the ACC schedule ahead. So I think some things will get exposed against Texas A&M, but how does this coaching staff respond to that? How do the players respond to that? Um, You know, I just wonder, and, and, you know, looking, going into the game, I think that Texas A&M game is going to, you know, that defense is going to make Miami's offense look rough, I think. And so I, I wonder just, you know, how is Miami going to respond? Are they going to be up for that fight? Uh, if the answer is yes, no matter what, like if Miami's competitive in that Texas A&M game, honestly, to me, that's like a win. Um, so I'm just concerned about that being a first month game of the year. Uh, game of the season and what it means good or bad for this Miami team so
1: yeah I think my only thing there is just like all right you go to Texas a and you got you you I love that middle Tennessee's middle Tennessee yes. state right back because I feel like it gives you the opportunity to turn the page and even if you're kind of feeling down that's obviously a team that you should handle then you get a bye week And then you get North Carolina. So I think this kind of, I kind of, I kind of went back to like what we're talking about with like Mario Cristobal and the culture and what they're trying to do. I feel like there's, I think regardless, I mean, obviously you can't just like say you can't just overlook uh, middle Tennessee state, all that fun stuff, whatever. Um, But you have two weeks to sort of regroup, like get these guys regrouped and be like, all right, we need to again, good or bad. I think you have a, you have a period there where it's like, all right, we need to kind of turn the page. Now, if it's, if it gets ugly, it's like, all right, turn the page, got two weeks now, new season, let's get through conference play. And uh, so I feel like the way the Texas A&M game kind of – like if there's a place for the Texas A&M game, I want it right there, exactly where it is. You get a couple weeks to kind yes. of get your feet, feet under you. You go to Texas A&M, you come back with another, you know, uh, G5 opponent, you get a buy, run through your ACC schedule. I think it's a really, a really good place. And, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a huge game, but um, I, I like how it kind of plays out right after
0: it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's all good points. I I just this game needs to be competitive. It yeah. can't be. It can't be a blowout. If it's a blowout, that's gonna be that's gonna be tough. Uh, they'll get because they if it's a blowout, things will be exposed and more teams will look to expose those deficiencies. Um, is there an opponent you think that's getting overlooked? You mentioned a little bit Virginia.
1: Yeah anyone I mean, else? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I probably go, I mean, we'll, let's talk about like that North Carolina game again. I think that that's going to yeah, be, a, that's where a, my head is. I think that's like the new, I think again, not, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to lose Texas a and have to regroup and all those things, but let's say in the more likely situation, which is where they go up to Texas A M and you know, don't come out on top of that game. I feel like that North Carolina game is the new start of the season and it's going to be like, all right, yep. who are you in that game? You know, they're excited about Drake may he has, you know, he's someone yeah. that, that he was highly recruited. He was committed to Alabama good. at one time. Yeah. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. Um, and, I, I mean, they, yeah, they, they got Josh Downs. I mean, that's a program that were, that's been recruiting well the last few cycles too. They got some, they got some bodies on the defensive line. They have a couple edge guys that are, I think are red shirt freshmen now, or maybe just true sophomores. I'm not sure about their eligibility, but I know they signed a couple big uh, edge guys. Noah Taylor is a guy that we highlighted up. you know, when we are talking yep. about ACC transfers, I think he's someone that can be an impact transfer for them on defense. Tony Grimes, I think is going to be one of the best corners in the, in the in the ACC. Uh he's someone that you know has been around for some time as well played at played against Miami when you know during that blowout game when he was supposed to be a senior in high school. So, um you know, I think that they have some pieces. I mean, if Travis Shaw is someone that emerges early I and mean, he's a big big time defensive lineman that they signed as a true freshman. I mean, I don't know. I think that they there's definitely some talent on that North Carolina team. And I think on the defensive side as well. And obviously the explosion of, of Josh downs and whatever Drake may can be, he's going to be five weeks into his college career at that point or six weeks, yeah. actually that's me week, week six. So we're not going to really know. I mean, I feel like we're going to have a better idea of who he is at that point. So I think North Carolina is probably that team where I'm circling and saying like, you know, well, what's this going to look like?
0: Yeah. North Carolina has kind of been whatever as a whole. During this Mac Brown era, but they have owned Miami. So, yeah. I mean, can't overlook that. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Miami's coming off a of bye week, which luckily, you know, that was that's typically only a thing for Manny Diaz struggling off bye weeks. Um, you know, I would expect Mario Cristobal to clean up that weird trend. Um, and you know, defensively, you're right. Like they do have talent there. Gene Chizik is now the defensive coordinator and I I would expect him to get that group better connected. So North Carolina is definitely a team that could pop Miami. Uh, and I agree. I think they're being overlooked a little bit. You mentioned Virginia. The, the thing about Virginia is their passing game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brennan Armstrong, very good college quarterback. They probably have the best wide receiver group in the ACC, which is crazy. Yeah but they do. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're going to test Miami's secondary big time in that game. So we'll see. I mean, it's a new coaching staff and Miami plays them what mid to late in the year. So we'll see how the season goes for them um, up to that point. But um, for me, if there's an opponent that is kind of getting overlooked, it might be North Carolina. Like, I don't think it's crazy to say there's a scenario where North Carolina is better this year than Pittsburgh. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, measuring stick game. You kind of mentioned Clemson. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. I think, I think the measuring stick game this year is Clemson. As you alluded to They are the King of the ACC, even though, you know, last year they slipped a little bit, they're still the, the King of the mountain in the ACC. And, um, you know, I do feel like it is there for the taking though. Like in terms of like Mario Cristobal's timing and getting to Miami, yeah. there's a chance uh, to take it. And I think if, you know, this is the type of game where if Mario Cristobal finds a way to pull it out, similar to like you were saying with Oregon, going to Ohio State, right? If Mario Cristobal can pull that game out, and Miami's kind of announced that they have next in the conference. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. That defense is, is probably the best defense in the country. I mean, they're top five, but they're stacked at every level on defense. Um, you know, again, that's going to have to be a slugfest. That's what Mario Cristobal is going to want that game to be, slugfest one score game going into the fourth quarter Tyler Van Dyke go win it for us um we'll see if Miami's up for that fight uh, okay along similar lines is it realistic to expect Miami to be competitive in those Clemson and Texas A&M games
1: I mean I, I think so um I mean Texas A&M is obviously one of the schools that Beat Alabama last year, and they're they're obviously extremely talented, especially in the trenches. And they're, again, when you said earlier, I mean it's going to be a big physical game. But I mean, I think they're still what they still lost like what like four games last year. Is yeah, that what, I mean this is not like it's not like this is an unbeatable roster. They have their own quarterback situation yeah. that they're kind of working through.
0: Yeah, I mean I I agree with quarterback. Yeah, I, that's what I, I'm saying. I think their roster is no, their
1: roster really much good. Much better than Miami's. It is, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like this team won't lose a, like won't lose games. Like, I think that this is like, I think this is a team that can go through the SEC gauntlet and come out with you know two yes. three losses possibly. So again, not saying Miami's on that level, but can this be you know like we were talking about in the fourth in the fourth quarter of this game? Can it be like you know maybe Miami has a window to? I mean, maybe not. I don't know, but. Um, I, I think it's going to be tough for the receivers to create separation. I think it's going to have to right. be uh, a, a, an, an, an incredible performance from Josh Gaddis in terms of drawing it up. But again, I'm not saying that they're going to go in there and win. I'm not saying that Miami's going to college station and winning like nothing about this program has, it, it tells me that that's like a game that they're going to come out on top of, but can it be competitive? Maybe for a time, I, I think you got to hope that it's competitive for a time. And the Miami's just not out physical, out man, uh, out talented, uh, you know, kind of right out the gate uh, on the road in college station and with 110,000 people in the stands. So again, I don't think, I don't think the chips are stacked in Miami's favor, but um, let's see. And then Clemson. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, I, again, that's the measuring state. Where, where are you at? Where's Clemson at? Where's Clemson at with their quarterback situation? Um, all those types of things I think are going to come into account there. And then, Um, you know, that, that, that's the game for me at Clemson, November 19th is, is, is the one where it's just like, you got to kind of Miami's got to show up for that
0: one. Yeah. I mean, the thing with that Clemson game is, you know, you would hope like good teams typically gain their identity, get better, uh, as the season progresses. And, And that's gotta be the hope there with that Clemson game. Uh, that they do find some answers at receiver by then, um, and that they have kind of refined the defensive rotations by that time of the year. Um, So I'm curious, you know, these early betting lines. With Texas A&M, I see nine, I see seven and a half, I see eight. Can Miami... In that Texas A&M game, can they keep it within a touchdown? I don't know. Can they keep keep it within ten? I think that's that's a fair like, you know, competitive expectation. I I do think they can win the game, but if we're just being real, you know, ten point. Would you? I I would find it encouraging. And again, we'll see how the game, like it all depends on context, how the game plays out. Uh, If you tell me Miami went into the fourth quarter against Texas A&M one score game and Texas A&M went on to win by 10, I would say, okay, yeah, maybe this team can go 10 and two.
1: Yeah. I think if Miami comes out of Texas A&M with the 10 point loss, I think you're kind of, looking around and you're kind of like okay like I mean I don't know for me I'm just like all right that's that's a positive step forward like I don't know I think
0: that that's I don't know I, I compared I could to what with... we've seen exactly from Miami playing SEC type teams yeah. like Texas A&M if
1: it's like a 31-21 game I mean I think I'm like okay you know what that's kind of you kind of got to hang your hat on that and be like all right I mean that's just about I think that's about as well as it could possibly go. Now, Again, I mean, obviously it could win, but I think if, if you're walking out of College Station with a 10-point loss, I think you're like, all right, you know what? We have something to build on. Like, we're closer than maybe, yeah. I don't know. You're getting and there. You're,
0: you're, you're on the right trajectory. This Clemson line is, from what I see, a lot of sevens. So it's, it's a closer line than Texas A&M. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, again, I, I want to see who Clemson is in 2022, right? Like I feel like if this is, this is a spitting image of Clemson's 2021 team, then you know what? I think that's a pretty fair line. I mean, I think they struggled with teams they probably shouldn't have struggled with last year. Um, but yeah, it's all I about mean,
0: quarterback. It, yeah.
1: It's all about the quarterback. If DJ Uyunglele is, if he kind of has that bounce back year, then, you know, I think we're going to probably see it's that tough. line maybe increase if, yeah. DJ Uyunglele struggles, and they bring in Kate Klubnick and you're rolling with a true freshman quarterback who I think is super talented. By the way, I, I don't think just because he's a true freshman means that you know Clemson right. wouldn't be able to win that game. But I think you know you'd kind of. I mean, I don't know if I'd rather be playing against a true freshman like that in that situation than you know a DJ Uyunglele who's kind of rolling because if they if Kate Klubnick's not in the rotation by week six or week seven, that means they feel really good about what they got with DJ. So, I mean, that yeah. could be problematic too.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Both those teams, Texas A&M and Clemson have, you know, quarterback question marks. I think it's fair to say, which is an advantage for Miami, uh, in both those games. But I do think it's fair to also point out that both those teams have better rosters as a whole, uh, outside of quarterbacks. So, uh, Miami could certainly win either one of those games um but we'll see prediction time offense points per game what are you thinking Gabby last year they were what like 34 points per game
1: yeah I think it was like 34.1 points per game I'm gonna kind of I don't know I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to push them up anymore I think Michigan was like 35.8 Um, I'm putting them in like that 30, like high 34. So like 34.8 is what I put. I think they're going to fall somewhere in between what they did last year and maybe what they did with Michigan, uh, what Josh Gattis did with Michigan. And that's just because of Tyler Van Dyke, right? Like I think with the, I think in college football quarter, the quarterback matters. I think ultimately he's, he's going to help these guys maybe take that next step and elevate. So I think this offense is going to improve slightly. I don't know if it's going to be a drastic improvement, but I'm leaving them in like that 34, 35 points per game area, which I think would honestly be solid for this team.
0: It definitely would. I'll I'll go slightly under than what they were last year, but still a good offense. I'll go, I'll go 33 points per game. So, you know, I I think the offense, it's going to look different. It's going to be more balanced. More running backs are going to score touchdowns uh, this year compared to last year. Um, But yeah, pretty much the same points per game output I think is what you and I are both saying yeah who leads the team in receiving yards
1: I'm gonna roll the dice on Keyshawn Smith man and I don't feel like same. super great about it but I'm I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt just because of the quarterback and and I think he can be the guy that emerges and uh, I think again I think hopefully the drops are a camp thing and once the lights come on and once they play a couple games and they just kind of get rolling. And I think Keyshawn Smith is the guy that could potentially have the bigger year of any of those guys.
0: I agree. I think it's, I, I'll i say Keyshawn as well. And really, this is just kind of like betting on an outside receiver, which means yeah, more explosiveness, right? Like I, I do think if we're having a conversation about who leads the team in receptions, yeah, it's Xavier Restrepo. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I just think it's hard to, generate a ton of yards out of the slot, um, being that type of guy. But Restrepo, I think, enters the year as the number one receiver. uh, And he will lead the team in receptions. But I would bet on an outside receiver to lead the team in yards. And I think Keyshawn Smith is probably the safe bet right now. Rushing yards. Well, okay, let me circle back to receiving yards. Keyshawn Smith cracks how many yards, and you're pleased with it?
1: I think if he cracks, I don't know. I, again, I, I feel like this might be a big ask. I don't know if if he okay. cracks like 750. Okay, I think that's fair. I feel like I feel like that's a I feel like that's a that would be a big mark for him. what do you have last year? Like he had like three, four, something. Else.
0: I think he was just over four.
1: Yeah, I think I think 750 would be like a clear next step for him.
0: I think I would take that. Yeah, I think I would too. So that's probably what 55 per game if you break it down that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's doable. Um Who leads the team in rushing yards? I'm going to go Knighton. Same. Do you yeah. think he cracks 1000? No. Okay. Do you
1: uh i'll say no i don't know man i feel like there just haven't been a ton of thousand yard receiver uh running backs here so i'll i'll probably take the under on a thousand yards there
0: if if i could turn if this was like madden and i could turn injuries off yes i would say yes he cracks a thousand but we'll see i think the potential is definitely there for um, sure, I think he has the talent to do it, no doubt. If he plays every game, so.
1: But I also think he's going to make big plays in like the passing game too. So I feel like that takes yeah. away. I think he could have like a thousand all-purpose yards. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everywhere, so Mario Cristobal every season he was the head coach for a full season. So you take out that weird COVID year where the Pac-12 played I don't know seven eight games something like that. Every year they had a thousand-yard back. Uh, at Oregon so I don't know interesting um defense points per game allowed
1: yeah um again if you we're talking about this team being a top 30 top 40 defense I think the math I mean I was just looking at the stats from like last year I think you got to be in like that 22 23 points per game range to fall to like on like the upper half of like that top 30 top 40 range I went 22 and a half points per game. Um, I think that I think that that's a a reasonable jump, Um, but that also pushes them into like that top 40 ish. So that's where, that's where I'm going to sit on for now.
0: So last year was 28, correct? 28 points per game allowed. Um, I'll go 21 just because that's going to be a full touchdown better. Just make it simple like that. Sounds good. Which would make it, I think like top 25 ish. Yeah. That'd be um, that'd be a huge jump. Who leads the team in sacks?
1: I I put a Gude.
0: I think a Gude is going to be that guy. He was impressive. So he talked to the media uh, following Wednesday's practice. His biceps are impressive. Uh, he wow. looks juicy. The part. Ju- juicy? Is he on that
1: forty-five day challenge? some? <laughs> got some, ju- got he some looks juicy like biceps.
0: He, he was like we knew already, like he was physically impressive, but just being next to him again, it's like, you know,
1: he's Dang. just, an,
0: he's just an older dude. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he was saying too. So one of the most interesting things he did say was uh, at UCLA, he was being used as a strong side defense event. And in this offense, of course, he's kind of the, the stand up edge weak side guy. So yeah. in this defense, he's going to be, He's going to get in, after it more position to get sacks. Yeah. yeah. And, and last year I think he had like two and a half or two sacks. So, but he, he had 38 pressures, which was like fifth most in the pack 12. Um, how many, like over under eight and a half. What are you taking?
1: That's that was the over under I had in my head. I might take the over man. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like this, I feel like he can kind of get after I'm only thing that would concern me. There is just like, Is he going to play, I don't know, how many snaps? I I don't know how much, like the rotation and all that stuff, but I would probably take the over there.
0: Okay. Interceptions. I think this is kind of like quietly a storyline that like needs attention, needs to improve. Yeah. You know, last year, the secondary, so if we're not including the striker positions, uh, the secondary only had five picks last year. James Williams, I believe, was the only guy with more than one. So he had two on the year. Um, So how many interceptions can this secondary account for this year? You know, turnovers are huge in college football. You know, they're random, but they are game-changing plays that matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just looking, I was looking at the numbers just like the overall interception numbers just weren't good either. Like, I think they had eight last year uh, in total as a defense. I think that was like in like, it, it was way out there. I think it was in like the 60s or 70s um, in terms of just like how that stacked up nationally. Um, if, it's five, if it was five for the secondary, I mean, I think if they, I don't know if doubling that is, is too much to ask, but if they can maybe push. I think enough, it is. I think the five, the five to eight or nine, I think is maybe a fair jump. But um, yeah, I think if you're a good secondary, like we think they are, I think it should be closer to maybe 10 than it is to five. Right. Or like, you know, I think they should definitely stack, you know, four more interceptions as a unit, as a secondary. I think that would be a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah. I think the pass rush is going to help. So yeah. the defensive line is going to be better. Uh, the safeties are going to be better, you know, older, have that experience. I expect them to have more picks. Tyreek Stevenson last year dropped like two or three easy. Yeah, he did that. He should have come up with. I think he finished the year with only one. So, uh, you know, I think 11 picks gets you around the top 40 range. um, Like as a total. So, yeah, but I, I do think the secondary needs to get 10 picks. Go get ten picks. I don't think that's asking too much, considering too. Again, the defensive line is going to be putting pressure on them. All right, last thing, then we'll get out of here. Regular season prediction record, Gabby, nine and it three. On the line.
1: Nine and three. I'm, I'm I'm sticking at nine nine and three. I think that's a I think that's a I think that's a good season for this program in year one.
0: Were you tempted at all to say ten and two? Or are you just solid with nine and three
1: i'm pretty solid with nine and three i'm not really i don't know i just feel like they're due i feel like they're due for one like i'm not sure if they win any of the two if they if they they find a way to i mean if they split one of those 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 two big road matchups i think 10 and 2 is possible like if but i mean i feel like nine and three is probably safer i'm going with the safe pick
0: i'll admit i will i'm a little tempted to go 10 and 2 um And really it's based on a premise of having a first round NFL quarterback and can this defense be top 30, yeah, in the country. And if those two things happen, uh, I think they can they can win 10 games. You know, I I went and looked. So you look at Pittsburgh last year, right? Kenny Pickett. Uh, so they have Kenny Pickett and the 23rd defense and that pit team went 11 and three 2020 Trevor Lawrence and the sixth defense that team went 10 and two BYU Zach Wilson and the number 11 defense. And these, these defensive rankings are S and P plus rankings. So the advanced stats that team went 11 and one Ohio state Justin field, number 24 defense seven and one in the COVID year, um, 2019 Oregon, Justin Herbert, that Oregon team had the number five defense in the country. They went 12 and two and won the Rose bowl. Uh, you have the LSU team, of course, with Joe burrow, number 14 defense. So, you know, you combine an elite quarterback, which I think we think Tyler is elite. That still is to be determined. He's got to go out and do it. Um, uh, and then we have a defense that probably is going to be better. How much better can they be top 30 better? I think that would be a huge jump, but I think it's possible. Uh, you know, there's some outliers, you know, going back to 2018. So Oklahoma had Kyler Murray and the number 91 defense in the country. That team went 12 and two lost to Alabama in the CFP semis. And the debate there was Oklahoma or Ohio state, Ohio state had Dwayne Haskins and the number 33 defense. They went 13 and one and the Rose bowl. So, you know, I think there's a case to be made Gabby that this team might be somewhere between like 2021 Pittsburgh and maybe like 2019 Oregon, because that 2019 Oregon team was limited at receiver as well. Um, you know, Justin Herbert, of course, is a different style of quarterback than Tyler with his ability to run. But you go look at the stats, he really wasn't allowed to run that year at Oregon uh, for most of the season. Um, and then that 2021 Pittsburgh defense, you know, they allowed 23.6 points per game. Can this defense be that? I think maybe, you know, and again, you the, the defense under Kevin Steele. So those numbers in 2016, number nine defense, 17.1 points per game. 2017, number three defense, 18 points per game. 2018, number eight defense, 19.2 points per game. 2019, number four defense, 19.5 points per game. So Kevin Steele delivers results. And again, previous years under you know, before Kevin Steele arrived, 2015 26 points per game at Auburn, 2014, 26.7 points per game at Auburn. So um, you know, under this premise, first round quarterback, top thirty defense. I think the potential's there to go ten and two, but I'm not ready to pull the trigger, unfortunately. And the reason is depth. I, you know. Again, if we could turn injuries off for this season and we know no injuries are going to impact this team, I would lock in 10-2. But football is the war of attrition and depth matters. And that's scenario, area Mario Cristobal has improved via recruiting and the transfer portal moving forward. I feel like he already has improved that uh, in, via the portal this off season. but there's still more work to be done in that regard you know, running backs on a razor's edge, offensive line, the the depth drops significantly after number six or seven. Uh, If Tyreek Stevenson goes down, I think there's kind of a noticeable drop off at corner. Um, I want to go 10 and two, but I think at the end of the day, I got to go nine and three, mainly because depth and, you know, In general, like I think when people talk football and injuries do matter, of course, and and all that stuff. But when people say, oh, we would have been, you know, when a fan base says we would have been so much better if we weren't hit by these injuries. Well, that's a part of football. You know, depth matters. Depth matters for sure. So at the end of the day, I think I'm going to go nine and three. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And And there's
1: there's potential for all that. But right now I got to stick at nine and three.
0: I think this is a season where the fans should enjoy the upward trajectory. You know, yeah. there's really no bit like, meaningful expectations this year. And, of course, fan base and, every, you know, you, you should be upset when losses happen, et cetera, et cetera. But things are trending in the right way for Miami as a program. Uh, nine and three would likely get you in the acc championship game but really you know to me this year's about mario cristobal instilling his culture mario cristobal leading miami to a nine and three season and mario cristobal stacking talent on the recruiting trail so that's kind of my checklist for this year nine and three go out win your bowl game then you get to double digit wins um Or maybe win the ACC championship, go up, double-digit win. So, overall, I think this is going to be a fun year. For sure. Miami Hurricanes football is for real right now. And uh, let's get out on that note. So, until next time, take care.